0: If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real-life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Well, we're really thrilled to have a very good friend, a special friend of ours from Abilene, Texas, Esmeralda Rodilla. She's the founder and Yay. executive director for Emerald of the Sea Abilene and oh my gosh. We met what was it? Just a year ago probably. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yes, it here? August.
0: Yeah, okay. And um so you had reached out to me wow a couple years ago, actually, I know that you had started Mm -hmm. some groups with the women that you lead um, in Abilene through healing from sexual trauma. You were using my books and we had kind of chatted over email for a while. And I was just so honored that, you know, we'd never met in person, but you continued to run these groups for these women and then eventually invited Mary and I down to speak at your conference, which was such a lovely conference, amazing women that came, such a huge group too. I was really impressed because the ministry and the conference has only been a couple of years in existence, right? Yeah, that was our second conference. Yeah, that's amazing. So, oh my gosh. Well, Esmeralda, that's a long intro there, but I'm so thrilled to have you with us today. (laughs) I'm so honored. Thank you. (laughs) You're so sweet. So, so yeah, so you've been starting running some groups and working with some women, um but prior to that, if you just kind of share a little bit about your journey to the compassion that you have now for sexual abuse survivors. I I remember you talking about how your passion started for women and girls back when you were like a little girl. You were you found yourself crowning and praying with friends at a birthday sleepover.
1: Yes. <laughs> So, um, I was turning ten, and I was having that big hotel sleepover summer party um and I had a couple of friends come over and um what was supposed to be a night to celebrate my birthday ended up being um an opportunity for me to make my friends feel special and so, I ended up crowning all of them and praying over them and telling them how uh, valuable and precious they were before God. so I knew at that age, I was just always passionate about leading others to God and, and to the love that he has to offer. And, um, because of that relationship that I would have with my friends and and girls from school, um, they would open up about different Things going on at home, um, so I would have a lot of sleepovers, some uh, group sleepovers, and some uh, just like one-on-one. And those one-on-one sleepovers would turn into counseling sessions pretty much. And so they would end up telling me all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was ten, that was the f- the first time that one of my friends told me that she was sexually abused by wow. her grandfather. Wow. Um, and so. I, I mean, it broke my heart. I had never heard of anything like that. Um, I just knew that it was wrong. And I knew that that was not what God had intended for her. And then it became became a norm to hear this over and over and over again. 11, 12 years old, middle school, uh-huh. and then high school, just hearing all these different girls. um, I started to notice that there were completely different girls. I mean, black girls, white girls, Hispanic girls, Mm. Christian girls, girls that weren't committed to a faith had all something in common. And that was the traumatic experience of sexual trauma. Um, and so growing up, I just knew that it was wrong. And I had, um, I had the opportunity to grow up in church, but with that came a lot of challenges, and a lot of church hurt that was mm-hmm. unnecessary, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. um, with that came a, a very hard year for me. When I was 13, um, I I felt like I rebelled with God. I was extremely angry with Him, and I knew that even though it seems like such a young age, like, what are you going to do at 13? Um, but I mm-hmm. really felt like that I was going to determine the rest of my life was if I was going to keep that anger in my heart. So that's a whole other story. But the point of that story Mm -hmm. is that when I came back to God, um, God put on my heart, if this is how you felt, um, the distance that you felt in our relationship in one year, Mm -hmm. how cold your heart has felt, imagine the pain and the hurt that women and girls all over the world experience that have gone through 10 times worse things than you will ever have to go through, including women that have gone through sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And those two words were like specific on my heart that I felt like God was just bringing to my mind in this prayer time with him. And so literally as a teenager, yes, Mm -hmm. this is me. um, Like I think I was about to turn 14. Okay, And so I ended up starting a ministry for girls, uh, six girls, and then it quickly grew to 40 girls. And again, kept hearing more stories of sexual abuse. Um, and then when I went to Bible school, um, I had the opportunity to go to a sex trafficking mission trip in Las Vegas. And so we were able to learn so much more about it. And um, I freaked out. <laughs> I freaked out. I thought that I was ready to hear all those things because of how much stories and experiences I heard growing up, mm-hmm. but that was just a whole another level of, um, of darkness that wasn't exposed in the faith community that I had grown up in. Right. right. And um, <laughs> um, so it wasn't until like I moved to Abilene um, to help with uh, another ministry here, of uh, drug recovery. And in that I transitioned to a residential treatment center to help uh, abuse kids and youth, um, in the foster care system. And so I was able to work with the oldest girls Mm. and, um, (laughs) I was able to hear again, the sexual abuse, how prominent it was within the foster care system and why they were there in the first place was because of that abuse. And, um, it just started to bring back all the, the, the stories and the testimonies that I heard growing up. It was just full circle for me. And I felt like I had come to a point in my life where it, I'm now in a position to be able to start something to help because I was limited being so young and Mm -hmm. not having the resources and the knowledge of what a nonprofit even was. Mm -hmm. Um, so at this point I was like, I have this burden, I have this passion, I have seen it all. I can't act like I haven't seen it. Um, and if if I have the power of God, then who else is going to be a voice, Mm -hmm. um, for people in this situation and so I started a nonprofit without any idea of what I was doing and how I was going to do it but I did it and we're going on two years in May so it's been an incredible journey.
0: Yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely it's a it's a great testimony of doing something without being able to see the next step you know you 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 walked out in faith and you said, I don't even know what this looks like. Well, I think a lot of nonprofits kind of start that way. We don't know what we're doing. We just, we just know we have a vision. We have a good thing. We have people around us who believe in us, believe in the cause. So we're just going to walk through this and see, you know, what God wants to do with it. And it's been amazing to see just the anointing on your ministry and the women who've been freed from chains in their lives, you know, and, um, just that your heart continues to burn for survivors and to see, especially women, set free. Um, And you've definitely got a gift, girl. You were preaching. Whoa. Do you remember that? She was on Oh, fire. my goodness. I was like, get out of her way. I know. And I was like, how are we supposed to follow that? <laughs> I remember turning to you, Mary. I'm like, how are we supposed to be the keynotes after I this? <laughs> like, What? So good! Oh my God! So good! And you're a poet. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing that you do up yeah. there. And especially just being Latina too. I think that's just so powerful. Um, just to be a that powerful, fierce woman, being able to preach and just you're unafraid up there. It's just amazing. I'm excited to see where God takes not only the ministry but just you with all your giftings.
1: Thank you so much. You uh, say unafraid, but <laughs> that whole time <laughs> I was trying not to look at y'all. <laughs> I'm shaking the whole time. <laughs> With the spirit. I was like in <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no,
0: no, no. <laughs> I'm shaking right now. <laughs> Aw, girl. Well, I still get nervous every time I talk. We yeah. won't go there. No, let's no, not. <laughs> Um well I, and I love to just your heart for um just the role of the church in the healing journey of survivors. Um you know you mentioned church hurt and that is such a common thing for all of us. I mean, I would say the majority of all those of us listening even to this podcast right now, that that term immediately will bring something up. It will trigger some feeling or emotion or a person that hurt them in the church or something that they read about the church that just gives them a bad taste. And it's hard to then experience the healing of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in our lives and on our healing journey when, you know, we've got that hurt that comes from his house, right? And mm-hmm. you have you have a lot of passion um to kind of bring those into the same room and make it safe for for women. Can you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that? What does that look like and and how have you seen? you know, healing happen in that way?
1: Well, your book, Breathe, um, is so amazing. And one of the the biblical passages that you talk about is um, the bleeding woman, an experience that she had with Jesus, um, that she had the issue of 12, uh, for 12 years, she had the issue of blood. And so she lived in isolation and um, with lack of intimacy and relationship. Um, And so I believe that this is such a big part of God's heart and we're missing it as the body of Christ, um, there's so many passages in the Bible about sexual trauma mm-hmm. and just trauma in general that it, us not talking about these types of things is is not fully explaining and teaching the gospel for what it is. Mm. And so um, Emerald of the Sea, the reason it's even called that is because our motto is in a sea of billions, you're the one Emerald God sees. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in a sea of tons of people that were crowding and pressing against him on that day, he stopped for that one bleeding woman. Mm. And I think that that's how uh, our faith was intended to be was to bring that truth to people. And that's the truth that sets us free. And, um, so there's no way that I could do what I do without it being faith centered and Jesus centered, because I don't know any other way personally, Mm -hmm. um, how to help someone learn the truth, uh, without it being from the source of truth, which is God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just feel like this is a a, a time I don't want to just create a space for this. I want to challenge the body of Christ in the church to really stand up and be the space Mm. for every hurting person and survivor uh, that they can be the place to lead them to the truth and to the healing um, through honest relationships, not just what they preach in the pulpit, but who they are as a community and what they truly believe When they have someone that doesn't look like them or doesn't act like them Mm -hmm. or doesn't have the same background sit next to them, uh, the way that they approach and love and build relationships with these people is going to be the biggest gospel that they can preach. Mm. And so uh, I'm just really passionate about colliding faith and healing in any journey, but most importantly, the bleeding woman that has been isolated for so many years in the body of Christ.
0: Mm. That's so good. That was such the heart behind the SOAR curriculum that I wrote for survivors because it was like so many people were reading my first book, Hush, and, and, you know, it was helping so much. But then it was like, how do I apply this to my life? You know, how can I bring God Mm -hmm. into my healing the way that all these stories that she's telling me about these survivors have done in theirs? And so it was like, I needed to get something practical in the hands of survivors where they can read Hush, but then be able to like talk to God directly and, and ask him questions about, you know, their specific journey and the specific effects of abuse in their life. And because he you know, our Lord wants to be so personal to each of us. And just as our abuse stories are all different, so can, I think, his healing be different for each of us. He uh-huh. personalizes his healing touch, um, just as he ha- has with all of the women in the Bible who he He touched or who, you know, they touched him and found healing. So it, it's all so personal because he is a personal Savior, right? So I love how, how you're kind of putting words to that and making that, um, an important piece because I think it is, it's a lot of survivors will say, well, I wish I had that what she had. I wish God would do what, what he did for her, but he can, you know, it's all about inviting him into our path. What does our journey look like with him and without him and, and, and how can we engage him each step of the way? So that's, I'm really grateful that you're walking that out with so many women and, um, it's interesting too, as we talk about, you know, the role of faith in healing. Um, and I remember us talking about this in the past, how you, you have a big heart for, um, helping others see generational trauma in their lives, how, how it is so generational and it can be passed on. But, you know, I talk in, I don't remember which one of my books, but where it's, um, you know, we're drawing a line in the sand. Right. This has gone Uh on. This happened to my mother. This happened to my mother's mother. This happened to my mother's mother's mother and probably way far back. But it's going to stop with Uh me. And, And the importance of the healing process now, you know, in 2020, that as survivors and all of you who are listening today, it's it's a matter of saying, you know, I am not just healing for me. I'm healing for my children and for their children, because this is the time for it to stop. And I wonder if you had any words for us about that.
1: Yeah. To piggyback off what you said about being, being personal with Jesus, that the bleeding woman, he didn't just want to heal her. Like, and you mentioned that in your book that he also calls her daughter. And so it was never about the actual healing journey. It was about uh, creating that genuine relationship with him and the healing journey was a plus to it. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that in that same passage, I see generational trauma because Jesus was on the way to heal a dying daughter, Jairus's dying daughter, and he had to stop and heal the bleeding woman before he could heal the dying daughter. And that's where I believe one of our models with m of the Sea is um, bleeding mothers give birth to dead daughters. Mm. Uh, whenever we're bleeding from past wounds, whether it's sexual trauma or other trauma, uh, we will infect and affect the people around us, whether we uh, want to acknowledge that or not. Um, we will affect people with our wounds and especially the people who are closest to us and, and, and our loved ones, our family members, our children will be affected by the decisions that we make based on our trauma, the way we live our life, the way that we protect ourselves, the way we build relationships will affect everyone around us. And so I really do believe that that was a picture of generational trauma and generational healing that he had to heal the bleeding woman first before he could heal the dying daughter. What's Mm -hmm. cool is that when he gets to the house, um, to heal the dying daughter he says that that the little girl was just sleeping he tells the little girl to get up and then the bible says that jesus held her hand and i feel like that is what jesus is all about that personal relationship again we didn't just see it with the bleeding woman we also saw it with the little girl i i feel like the little girl represents our generation now our generation today mm-hmm. and we have lots of people especially church folks <laughs> that want to use church as a mask uh that want to point fingers and, and and point out all the reasons why our generation is jacked up and what's wrong with it and mm-hmm. and finding people who to blame um and and calling it dead. There's mm. no hope. Yeah. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jesus, instead of being like, this girl is dead, Jesus was like, no, nah, this girl is sleeping. Mm. Uh, she just needs to get up and let me hold her hand. I'm going to hold her hand. And I feel like that's where the churches will, uh, the body of Christ, the faith community, has dropped the ball because we were never called to judge. We were never called to, to call things dead. Um, if anything, we were called to call dead things alive yeah. mm-hmm. and hold our generation's hand. What does that look like? That's the healing process. That is holding someone's hand through the entire process of their healing. Mm-hmm. Through the ups, through the downs, the relapses, the going back to what's familiar, from mm-hmm. going from the victim mentality to the survivor mentality to the thriver mentality. Mm-hmm. That's the role of the church is holding the hand of mm-hmm. that sleeping daughter which is our generation today. And I believe it all starts at the root of the bleeding mother who desperately goes after her own, own her own healing found in Jesus. Wow. Mm.
0: Amen. Sister. Preach. <laughs> and don't you think that has to do, I oh, mean, as you're, as you're preaching that right now, honestly, I'm just thinking of how, you know, she was sleeping, but now she's woke. Like that's this generation, mm. right? This generation is yes. woke.
1: <laughs> yes i love that
0: i'm gonna be using that now (laughs) t-shirts yeah right 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 (laughs) yes that's free that's free oh no but it's so true i I love the picture that is there and we can so often overlook it and we just we are so used to doing things the way we've always done it and you know what it's not working (laughs) So nope. it's time to look at it with fresh eyes and a new perspective and take your eyes off of this one part that you've always been focusing on, like this has to be the part that gets fixed. What you're leaving out this whole other piece, this whole other person, um, and to right. be able to just step back with fresh vision and be able to see what this new generation has to bring forth. I, I love that. And gosh, you were such a great voice for this generation and to really rise up. So many women who've gone through hell but are receiving God's healing, and now they're making such an impact in your community themselves. It's just a beautiful thing. I remember the stories that came out just at your conference, the one that we were at. I can't imagine how many more have happened since then and will continue to. It's it's really, it's really empowering. So what is what is next for you? What do you feel like, um, you know, God's laying on your heart? You just want to continue to run these groups and lead these women and or, you know, what kind of things do you have envisioned next? So
1: right now, our programs are geared towards women 18 and older who have gone through any type of sexual trauma, whether it be childhood um, abuse or um, abuse being older or trafficking, and we're starting to get more survivors of trafficking um, and plugged into our groups. Um, So that has been amazing, but I also feel like this picture of the bleeding mother, uh giving birth to dead daughters and a healed mother giving birth to healthy daughters yeah i feel like that's the next dimension where we're entering where these ladies that can relate to the bleeding mother being restored being healed uh being free from from the the torment in their in their hearts um they use their voice to now hold that hand of that sleeping girl in our generation so I see um, these ladies that are being healed be the mentors and and coaches and one-on-one wow. opportunities with younger girls who are uh, either very vulnerable targets of um, of sexual trauma, whether it be immigrants, mm-hmm. LGBTQ mm-hmm. plus community, uh, uh, to girls who have already gone through child abuse, I want to connect the two and put them in a room and see what happens. Because I know that he was in the midst of it all. and
0: Yeah, um, quite an experiment. It's mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> just because I know that it's it's all God-led. Like, mm-hmm. this is so biblical. Like, generational trauma is, is real, yeah. but so is generational healing. And, mm-hmm. and I really do believe that uh, just these ladies walking in their healing, they're already changing generational trauma just by them, walking in their own healing and walking um walking together so,
0: walking side by side right gosh yeah community is so important in the healing process mm-hmm. yes and um
1: so to see them be intentional to take it a, a deeper level and be intentional with that healing knowing that now i have all the tools to not only build a healthy um Uh, healed life for myself, but now I have all the tools to pass it on to uh, a girl in my community who may not be related to me, Mm -hmm. but we share the same experiences. Mm -hmm. So I do see us going that route. Um, as, as we expand, um, I just want to create, I want to be whatever God wants me to be, but I really feel like uh, he's put me in a position to help build leaders and warriors, um, the, the people who were least wanted and, and um, seemed valuable, mm-hmm. even to the faith community at times, are going to be the ones, are, it's going to be that mighty army mm-hmm. that's going to be representing God mm-hmm. in the best way. And, and it kind of reminds me of uh, David when he was hiding in the cave uh, from Saul. He ended up building an entire army, of <laughs> mm-hmm. like 300 men that were all outcasts and misfit, they ended up being the army that was conquering and had so many victories. Um, And I really feel like God is using the most broken and uh, what people would consider uh, the bleeding woman that nobody wanted to touch and be in contact with, to be the one that's going to shift our culture uh, in the church and outside of the church.
0: I completely agree with you. I feel like, I mean, we've even seen that in our own lives. I think just in ministry, a lot of times it can get hard and tiring and you can get defeated and then almost always the ones that kind of bring us back to life and breathe hope back into us are the ones who you know we're the outcasts we're the trafficked we're the destitute the dying and now their stories have been brought back to life mm-hmm. you know from the healing that God has brought them and then that in turn has brought us the same kind of thing and um, revived mm-hmm. us, right? Oh, for sure. You know, it's yeah, it's not the the famous pastor, <laughs> the white man on stage. It's it's, <laughs> it's the one that mm-hmm. was once lying in the ditch, you know. But like, yes, yes. What, Like Jesus met, so that's amazing. I love what you're doing, and I know that your vision from the beginning has been to, um, you know, open chapters in other places has that started yet is that still on your heart because good grief every town needs it
1: Uh, yes that has been on my heart from the very beginning um and it's a it's a big dream and it's scary to say Mm -hmm. but i really do believe that um you know it's possible that we can have chapters all over wherever we're able to um and and maybe even in spanish uh, yeah. Being that I'm I'm an immigrant, knowing how vulnerable that population is mm-hmm. as well. I was just um, going to ask
0: you about that. Do you feel like um, people understand that? Does your community understand that? That you know, just the vulnerabilities that are there. Do you feel like there needs to be more no. voice to that?
1: No. <laughs> yes. One thousand percent. And a, a big thing is is the language barrier. So if you have like a you have parents that only speak Spanish, but you have kids that are being raised in America. So they know the whole culture. They know slang. They know uh, the apps. They know social media. And parents have no idea because all they know is their culture from their country. Uh So you have kids growing up in this culture, and they're learning what Snapchat is, and they're Uh learning what uh, Fortnite is, right? And so parents that don't speak English, Mm. how are they going to be able to uh, supervise their kids? Yeah. Wow and help them through that, and so they're in a very vulnerable position and then also let's say uh not all immigrants are illegal, but let's say there are some illegal immigrants out there uh that are already vulnerable, already have anxiety, have fear um and they have this secret mm-hmm. that's a secret mm-hmm. by itself that if 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 uh the government were to find out they would get deported well let's say someone holds that secret over them mm. you know in exchange for abuse and and, and sex and yeah. so I think that that is a, a very difficult spot to be in mm-hmm. and um, I think one of the greatest places where the um, where this community could be reached at is through the faith community it is through churches uh, because they they are going to church mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Spanish churches need to be educated as well and um, I think having um, a church culture of instead of causing more division, understanding that we all need each other, the Hispanic culture or any other immigrant culture needs the help of the American church because at the end of the day it's about Jesus and not what divides us, but what brings us together. Absolutely. And once we have that, which is a lot of work, <laughs> wow, <laughs> so yeah. once we get there, then we we can um, exchange resources and, and really empower each other to stay safe mm-hmm. Um and fight this this war so i really see us having resources in the future for this um it's just like i said it's scary and uh, (laughs) i just admire both of you and all the things that that you both have been able to do and Mm. and even internationally and i know that if this is god's will he's gonna open the doors to do so um but i also know that there have already been opportunities people have reached out you know i would like to start chapter her. i would like yeah. more information and stuff and, and i could get super excited which i i do um and <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, i'm like i want to do it now yeah. you know that must be a, a sign we're supposed to do it now mm-hmm. and i know that uh every survivor and every current victim deserves the best and deserves for us to work hard and work in excellence and to set everything that we can up for success yeah. and not just create an emotion and just create numbers and say that we have accomplished three chapters and four chapters, but we're not really doing anything because mm-hmm. we didn't set it up um, mm-hmm. uh, successfully with a great foundation. And so right now I'm doing the very best uh, to build a team that I currently have. Um, to expand where we're at, to get educated, to get more trained, Mm -hmm. um, because I believe that even though Jesus is the center of what we do, um, he has equipped us with other tools to get better. And so I hate when people use it as a cop-out, especially Mm -hmm. the faith community. Uh, It's not just prayer that's going to Six things. You mm. know, he has given us therapists, he has given us counseling, he has given us resources yes. and shelters, to work together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is all a complement to the healing journey as we're holding the hand of this generation. Right. And so, um, I feel like I, I really want to do my best at establishing something sturdy so this can be long term effective and just keep growing and something that could always always be here
0: mm. for
1: generations.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Do you see um, your role as speaking more to your culture and to um, helping, you know, other maybe Mexican immigrants or Latinas like relate to you and understand they have a voice and like, you know, maybe, you know, God can do great things with me like they've done through her. Or do you see yourself more as um I need to be a voice, you know, maybe in the white communities and help them to understand my culture and my people and do and to help work together, which because I'm like, oh, my gosh, this girl, you we need you everywhere. (laughs) But I wonder where you identify with more, where you feel more called, where you feel um, maybe more used.
1: Nicole, you're hitting the spot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'm
1: just throwing out Uh, the question. That's a hard question. Uh, The reason why, I mean, if I could just get a little bit more personal with that, I did not realize how much trauma I had went through being an immigrant Mm -hmm. until I started Emerald of the Sea. See, now
0: I I would have expected it just because I've heard so many horrible stories and I read the news. You know, I would have expected it. Yeah. (laughs) But that's interesting. That That's what I love, though. You just threw yourself out there thinking, this is going to go great for me.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, I think, like, um, You know how there's people, there's survivors that have shared, like, abuse was so normal in my family that I didn't even think it was bad until it was exposed that this, mm. is, a, this is not a healthy thing. And I feel like my life, I was brought here when I was eight months to the United States. Mm. So I grew up in America, but right. being from a whole different country. Mm. And um, I don't even know if I'm being allowed, if I'm allowed to say this, but I grew up illegal. I'm not illegal anymore, Mm. but I grew up illegal. You
0: can say whatever you want.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So having that, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of anxiety. Um, There was a lot of shame that Mm. I did not know I had. And if there's something I can say that I can relate 1000% to survivors is that shame. And that yeah. shame will make you do crazy things and that shame will make you think crazy things mm. uh, about yourself mm-hmm. and always have limits in this, in, in, keep you in bondage in a victim mentality. And so um, I never thought I was going to make it this far, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, for me, it's a big deal to be able to call myself uh, and not that I find my identity in it, but. Like it's a blessing to be called be called an executive director of a nonprofit where uh-huh. in my community. What the heck is that even? Like yeah. what does that mean? Because everybody's mm. cleaning houses, you know? Yeah. Um I, I remember cleaning houses growing up, mm. mansions mm. uh for you know, rich white people mm-hmm. and At eight
0: months old probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom would take me with yeah. her. Yeah. So um
1: it's so I grew up and not that there's anything wrong with that now, but in that mentality, I always thought I was gonna be that that girl cleaning the toilet. I was mm-hmm. always gonna be that girl uh, serving someone else. Yeah. Um, and not that that's bad. I love my mom. Kills it. She's she's the best house cleaner out there, and Aww. she loves it. She has no shame in it. Yeah. But awesome. um, <laughs> but but that idea that it was it had to be that way. Yeah. And that my there was nothing
0: bigger. You couldn't think bigger. Right. Yeah. Right, just and like my bleeding did not matter,
1: yeah, yeah, yes,, yeah. <laughs> I felt like my voice didn't matter, but for a different reason, exactly. you know um you I, I was kind of taught, well, you're just blessed to even be here, mm. so keep your mouth shut if you don't like something, keep your mouth shut yeah. if if you have an opinion, keep your mouth shut because uh, this ain't even our place, yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. so growing up in that mentality, I didn't realize how much limitations it put on me um, until I started. I'm going to see and being able to hear different survivors and relate. Um, Mm -hmm. Just in a deeper way in this season of my life was uh, just a big eye opener. So I started to, uh, that's kind of the the discovery that I'm in right now. I don't know the answer to that question. I feel like God is funny and he'll put Mm -hmm. us in the most least expected places. uh, Things that you said I would never do. Um, <laughs> you yeah. end up doing and uh, so it's just I, like last night I had the opportunity to speak at a um, at a church at a close town ta- uh, it it's a, to- a town close to Abilene um, and so it's even smaller oh. and it's a white church yeah. full of like older people wow. okay. so here I am Mexican <laughs> And super young, yeah. I mean, like compared to the people that were there. Yeah, you are super young. Um, and so those, were, <laughs> those are like the two top insecurities I had growing up when it came to ministry and stuff is, yeah. man, they're not going to listen to me because I'm young or they're not going to listen to me if they don't look like me. Mm. And so being there last night and having I'm young, I'm Mexican, I'm a woman because mm-hmm. there's people who still believe women shouldn't be in ministry. Mm-hmm. And then here I am about to talk about sex and sexual trauma. So it was a very uncomfortable position for me. Um, but I did it and I was completely myself and it worked. And, and I was just overwhelmed and um, my mind was blown at that the type of response we got. I mean, the ladies were like, mm-hmm. man, I've been sheltered. I, I've never heard about this oh. and didn't know about this. And you're talking about like, older ladies sure. saying, asking me these questions and, and wanting to know more about mm. um, you know, sexual trauma and here I am like, you know, bleeding mothers give birth to dead daughters and, <laughs> and the church has failed and we've dropped the ball yeah. and you could just feel the conviction yeah. in the room, you could feel the love in the room the understanding yeah. wow, and I have them come and hug me afterwards Aww. and tell me how impacted they were and um, signed up to help in different aspects of of our ministry so to me that was like well dang like is god gonna be putting me in places where i feel super unqualified to be you know in those rooms uh to be a voice for the hispanic community Mm. and then the other side of me is like man i feel like i'm supposed to go back to the hispanic community uh, (laughs) um But with, but with that, I mean, it's not as easy as what people think because again, you're like a unicorn, I bet. and then so like when when you change, it's like there, it can always be almost be this mentality you think you're too good, yeah, because you've come out of this mentality, mm. um, yeah, and so now you're coming back and 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 so those are just personal things that I'm dealing with with my pastoral counselor and learning how to surrender those um, those insecurities and those hurts. Because growing up as an immigrant, you were never too Mexican for the Mexicans, and you were never too American for the Americans. And so you never had a place. Uh (laughs) I felt like I didn't have a place. And so it's just now in the ministry and in the career aspect of things, it's just neat because I'm learning— like people who ignored me, oh man, the People <laughs> 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 ignored me, yeah. you know, months ago, a year ago, mm. are now like the ones to personally email me saying, "Are you going to be attending this event for the community?" Right, and that's a huge breakthrough, that's, a huge breakthrough because is. I would be standing next to someone wearing scrubs that's on my team that day, uh-huh. and they would come in and hug the person with the scrubs that they don't even know. Uh-huh. And I'm just a little Mexican girl that they just ignore because mm. I'm I don't look like them. No, nope. we're in a
0: <laughs> In the <laughs> Sea so of Billions. You are the yes. one emerald God sees. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And he's so lifting you up that... in all these communities. That is yep. that is what he does. Wow. Well uh, I I really remember? am
1: learning God. to believe that for myself. Yeah.
0: Well, isn't that interesting? He'll give you a message to share with all these other people, but it is the message you yourself needed.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 1000%. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And the way you're talking about just how God's opening doors for you. And it's surprising. It it reminds me of when I started speaking 17 years ago and just thinking like, why am I here? Like these people, (laughs) you know, they don't want to hear one. No one's talking about sexual abuse and like, how is this even I'm I'm speaking about this at a place where they don't talk about it, where females aren't even allowed on stage, but they're letting me on mm. because I have a testimony, <laughs> you know, Right. Um, but and then I felt like, gosh, I'm so needed here or my this message is so needed. Not me. My message is so needed here, but also it's so needed in the community of survivors, you know? So similar to you, you know, you are so needed in the white American church. You need to shake it up. They need some flavor. They need some churros.
1: (laughs) But, you know, but the
0: Latina community needs you and the survivor community needs you. Like our voice, once we find our voice, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter our background, the color of our skin, our gender. It doesn't matter who you like, who you don't like. It doesn't matter. You know, once you find your voice, your voice is necessary in every community. We all need people that look like us to show us what's possible. And we also need to hear from people who don't look like us so that we can understand. And like you said, like hold the hand of somebody behind us and, um, you know, just create healing spaces and, and relate. And, and, you know, we're all in this together. So I just absolutely love you. I love what you're doing. I feel so confident that God has just called you to something. So important. Just what you're doing right now is so important. What you're going to be doing, and I know I speak for Mary too. We're just along for the ride, just to witness this. It's so fun, and excited to continue to be a part of of all of this. So
1: thank you so much. And this would not be possible without OGs, you know, <laughs> pioneers like you guys that really have paved mm-hmm. the way for it to be talked about the way that it is now. And and when I started Emerald of the Sea, and still now, like we use your curriculum and soar and hush and breathe. And though that was my, how Moses had a staff in his hand. Like, I feel like that's what God was like, this is your first step. I had no idea what I was doing and how I was going to help someone in their healing journey. Wow. But he gave me those tools and it's because of your ministry. So I cannot imagine the, the walls y'all have broken through the stereotypes that y'all have broken through, mm-hmm. uh, culture that y'all have shifted mm. I think it's, it's for generations to come that it's because of y'all's hard work and your blood sweat and tears mm. Uh, mm. we truly are able to build what we have now it's because of you guys mm. so truly from the bottom of my heart and all the survivors that are represented through Emerald of the sea, uh, we're truly so grateful for your ministry wow
0: well and if it was just for you it was worth it so gosh thank you for saying mm. that that's awesome yes yeah. Well, where can our listeners connect with you and your ministry and learn more, get connected, help, donate? Our website is EmeraldOfTheSea.org. We are also on Facebook um, and then on
1: Instagram, EmeraldOfTheSea underscore Abilene. And then my personal Instagram is at royal and I would love to get connected with anyone who's interested uh, to learn more about Emerald of the Sea, or get to hear maybe some of my poetry and other things that we got mm-hmm. going on. So, mm-hmm.
0: yes, <laughs> you should turn some of your poetry into some rap, though.
1: I've gotten that a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just
1: I don't know how to how to get there. Really, I think
0: if I really tried, I could. But. I think it would take like maybe a second yeah <laughs> but either way your poetry is beautiful So, oh this has been fun you are such a treasure to yes. us thank you for this thank and you. we just love you keep doing what you're doing stay in touch okay alrighty
1: thank you ladies thank you so much for listening be sure to subscribe write a review if you heard something you liked even invite
0: others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together you can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org